Hashtag Tim and Friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned in to the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. This is Tim and Friends for Thursday, January 27th, 2022. That was Jesse Rubinoff. I am Tim McAuliffe. This is Tim and Friends. There again is Jesse Rubinoff. We have got a jam-packed two hours of what we hope is edutainment coming your way. Let's get you set for a busy night in the world of sports and on the network. Ten games in the NHL tonight, including six Canadian teams and three of them on the Sportsnet family of channels. The Canucks and Jets in Winnipeg. The Oilers looking for a third straight win at home to Nashville. I don't think Evander Kane is playing in this game, Jesse, but that thing seems not only imminent, but done. According to Elliot Friedman on Twitter, Kane deal in Edmonton is for 750K in salary, 625K in signing bonus, which means an approximate $2.1 million cap hit, full no movement clause, to which Chris, first responder, says, how does 750K and 625K make 2.1 million? Chris, the answer to that, obviously, is prorated. Come on, man. <laughs> so that's one of the games we'll be watching tonight. We'll get you the full news. Maybe, maybe we'll get something from Gino on this. We'll see what happens with Evander Kane. Calgary also looking to stay not only hot, dominant in St. Louis, and that's a good thing for Justin Falk that that bad boy is in Missouri and not big bad Canada. We wouldn't want him to have to, we wouldn't want him to, have to come back up here. And Thursday in the NBA means a TNT doubleheader, which features the Lakers in Philadelphia to take on the Sixers. Just a wee bit of drama from both of those teams. <laughs> That'll be followed by the T-Wolves and Warriors. Kenny the Jet Smith of Inside the NBA on TNT will join us in the second hour. Is he going to want to talk about the Lakers this week? Probably not. Probably not. Same stuff. Either way, we'll talk about the NBA All-Star starters, which will be announced very soon, and we'll see if he's ready to talk about the Lakers yet. And finally, it is the biggest game the Canadian men's national soccer team has played since the last one. That's right, kids. Canada goes to the Honduran haunted house that is Estadio Olimpico in San Pedro Sula looking to exercise some demons. You can see that on Sportsnet 360 East and Ontario with a 7.30 Eastern pregame show from our friends at One Soccer. Got a feeling we might explain those demons in First Things First and again with James Sharman. So without further ado from your humble narrator, let me pass it off to my friend and yours, Jesse Rubinoff, to officially Let's go. kick off the festivities. What do you thinky, Chris Winky? Chris Winky. Didn't he win the Heisman when he was like 30? Florida State. 20, what? Yeah, he was, 28? He was older than most. Older than most. Older than most. I knew today was a big show. I think he won at 26, but I could be mistaken. That's, it's old, either way. Any way you slice it, it's old. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, like, late note getting from you today. Sitting down in the chair, camera comes. You are ready to go today, and I think I have a reason why. Yeah, I was kind of mentally preparing for what I was going to say about this soccer game. Yeah, so why don't we get right to it? Okay. It is a big game. Yes, no question about it. The Canadian men's national team continues their quest for a World Cup berth tonight, right here on Sportsnet. It's the start of an important window 
that has the national team playing three matches in three different countries over seven days. Tonight, Canada faces a winless Honduras side. So, Tim, why are some fans feeling nervous? Well, Alfonso Davies won. Right off the bat, you have to mention Alfonso Davies. Now, I understand the casual looks at the standings and sees Canada 13 points clear of Honduras and thinks, what's the big deal? The Canadian hardcore soccer fan wants the casual to hush up. The longtime Canadian fans have a bit of a, a different vision, a sports PTSD, if you will. Like Nala, who simply wrote me, I am terrified, all caps, of this window with the missing pieces. You see, long before this inspiring qualifying run, the Canadians' last big game was at the very stadium they play at tonight, Estadio Olimpico Metropolitani in San Pedro Sula. And at the time, no joke, no xenophobia, the murder capital of the world. Now it's down to like 15 or 20 in the world. But on October 6th, 2012, my old friend Sid Sixero and I did an entire show on the lead-up to the game. All Canada needed was a draw in Honduras to advance to the hex and maybe be that close to qualifying for the world. Just a draw. It had the chance to be the start of a new generation of Canadian football. I've described it before as not a trip and fall, but our Canuck kids tripped, fell, knocked out several teeth, and concussed themselves. It was a disaster. Canada lost 8-1 on that day. The program was sent to shambles, the manager resigned, and it's been five different men at the helm since. The sixth, John Herdman, brings the boys back to Estadio Olimpico today with just three players remaining from that squad. You see, outside of qualifying for the 1986 World Cup, Life has just been like that for the men's program. And even in the one World Cup Canada qualified for, no wins, no points, no goals. So even with all the momentum of leading CONCACAF at the end of 2021, capped by snow sellies in Edmonton and taking an unprecedented four of six points from Mexico when the news of Alfonso Davies' myocarditis came down and then the report of a Stephen Estacchio COVID positive, there was a strong contingent of longtime hardened Canadian supporters who simply dropped their head and said, oh bleep, here we go again. Like our friend Nala. But as I've been telling you, since a win in Suriname, heading into two legs with Haiti, this, my friends, is the dawn of a new era. This is not your father's Canadian team. This is a team that comes in not only with a different mindset or swagger, but an entirely different makeup. One that has already gone into Azteca where they had lost five in a row by a combined 20 to nothing scoreline and not only got a point, but looked like the better side. This is the one that dug deep at home against Honduras and provided a moment for the ages against Panama. I 
I was there, it was hair-raising, and that's saying something. They did it again at Ice Teca, this time in Edmonton, where Kyle Lahren and Atakubi gave us the future postage stamp, Selly. Stacchio, good ball, touchdown! I can't wait to see that on a postage stamp. It's time to dig deep and prove that this is indeed the start of something special. That this program isn't just Alfonso Davies at all. It's Jonathan David and Kyle Lahren. It's Tejon Buchanan and Milan Borian. It's time to show CONCACAF and the world and do it for Fonzie who stood in front of FIFA Congress and delivered the I am Canadian speech for Atiba Hutchison. Probably our country's greatest warrior on the men's side and undoubtedly its most underrated athlete of all time. Yeah, I said it. Who was in Honduras a decade ago, but not to simply exercise the demons of San Pedro Sula, but to get him to his first World Cup at the tender age of 39 and to put those who work, put those who put in the work, and never even sniffed what Canada can now taste. The World Cup for Paul Stalteri from the Molten Bullets to Werder Bremen in Tottenham, red and white to the core. For the homie Dwayne Di Rosario, who was playing in World All-Star Games, scoring absolute crackers, but could walk through Toronto without being noticed. Do it for the other Scarborough Utdell, like Julian de Guzman or Paul Pescasolio whose biggest goal had to come for Sheffield United. For Mobilio and Bunbury, 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 who was so beat down his son played for the United States of America. It is time to summon their inner Garrett Cush, the soul of the gold medal, gold cup winning team, my dude, Craig Forrest. For Jimmy Brennan and the legend, Mark Watson and all those names that got glimpses when folks knew there was talent. There was no money, no belief from Martin Nash, to Ali Gerba, from Kevin McKenna, to Randy Samuel, going into Honduras and summoning the power of Lyndon Hooper and Bruce Wilson's hair. You see, the last time Canada won a game bigger than today was in 1985 in St. John's, Newfoundland. A 2-1 win to send them to the World Cup against... You guessed it. Honduras. Tonight is the night where the dawn of a new era shifts into simply the era. The era where the sleeping giant that is Canadian football awakens from its mighty slumber. Be right back. I am going to run firmly through a wall. Might even be bricks. I have chills. I'm ready to go now. How are you going to follow up the rest of the show? What? How do you follow that up with Tardy or whatever the hell else we're supposed to talk about? What just happened? I blacked out. I- <laughs>
I am ready. Oh my goodness. That felt like, I don't know, Les Mis? I am ready to go. Les Mis? <laughs> the people are singing. Can you give me I'm something more than Les Mis? <laughs> I got you. World Cup qualifiers, Canada, Honduras tonight on the network. Be there or be square. Or you can just watch some hockey because there's some pretty yeah. significant things to talk about in hockey as well. Do you think you, got, like, you don't have anything more to add than that, right? That you said everything you had to say about that game. No, I'm, anyway, I'm good. Yeah. Go there and prove it, okay. boys. Love it. Go there and prove it. Uh, you just did the game justice, so I will move on to hockey. Very well done to me. The Flames with another big win last night, beating sweating. the Blue Jackets. Six nothing, so am I. Literally sweating. <laughs> In case you missed it, uh, here's a quick recap of the game. <laughs> and a couple goals. <laughs> and some goals. Uh, yeah, franchise record 62 shots on the night. Uh, yet another win for the Calgary Flames. So earlier this week, you hesitated to say the Flames win against the Blues, Timmy. Put the league on notice. Does this performance last night qualify as a statement victory for you? Yeah, this, the statement part of that was where I held back. And I said, I don't know if you remember, uh, you've got to be consistent for that to be a statement. What are the shots on goal that they're averaging over the last couple games? Like, they're over 50 a game. It's ridiculous. For those who didn't see it, a franchise record, six, it was wave after wave after wave. Put it this way. Elvis Merzlikens allowed six goals. Six. And he still had a save percentage over nine. That is insane. Okay. <laughs> he allowed six goals and he had a save percentage over 900. Like, that was as impressive a couple of games as I have seen from any team this year. Markstrom seems like he's back on his game, and maybe that has to do with a little health. And the little dude that we're showing right here, Johnny Gaudreau, and that bigger dude we're showing right there, are on absolute fire. Kachuk and Gaudreau have 22 points each in their last 11 games. 22 points each in their last 11 games. Like, okay, Goudreau's doing it in a contract year. I don't care. If you're a Calgary Flames fan right now, you have got to be excited about what they've been able to do over the last little while. No question. I mean, if you watch the Flames game last night and you see some of the plays that Johnny Goudreau is making, the third goal, he back checks hard in order to get the puck, fire it up to Matthew Kachuk, who scores. And the fourth goal, he goes through the entire team to set up Lindholm. So, uh, yes, it's a contract year, but this is a guy who's now sixth in NHL scoring. He's first in the NHL in primary assists. He's third in the league in plus-minus. So take advantage of him playing this well in a contract year. Strike while the iron is hot, because you don't know if you're going to retain him next year. So enjoy uh, the fruits of the labor, if you will. They are playing very good I just hockey. know some people get pissed off when a guy comes up big in a contract year. Yes. Especially when he's been dormant for a couple. I mean, the critics with Johnny Goudreau, he, is, he is on another level right now. But the critics will always be there, especially in the postseason. And that is going to be, if they make it, that is going to be where Flames well, fans really now, form they, an opinion. If they keep playing the way they are right now, they're going to make the yes. playoffs. Like, that is unbelievable what they've been able to do. 13 the Jackets, what the hell yeah. are they doing? <laughs> what do you do with Patrick Lining? Honestly. It's a great question. 
What, what are the Columbus, like, do you, I, I don't know if you remember this because you weren't even on the show, but Sid and I were on when the deal was made, and I said, be careful what you wish for, Patrick Laine. Yeah. You played with some pretty damn good players in Winnipeg, offensively gifted players in Winnipeg. And now, like, obviously he has the ability, but man, has it gone barren for him. It feels like he has to be in a perfect situation nowadays in order to live up to his or potential. Or just a better one than Columbus. Or just a better one. But he, I mean, he was struggling in Winnipeg before that trade. So, be interesting to see where he lands if he lands somewhere other than Columbus. The Maple Leafs, speaking of teams that are winning, had another nail-biter last night. Toronto saw their two-goal lead evaporate before winning it in a shootout. Tim, I posed this question on Twitter last night, but I want to hear your take. Are Toronto's blown leads a big deal if they're winning the games in the end? What's the number on, do you have the number on... How many blown leads and then the points in those games? I know we did it last time. I'm putting you on the spot. No, I believe it is, it is five blown leads. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Count them up. Nine, Nine points, points they've gotten. Out of a possible ten points. So, so, so this is what you're referring to yeah, when you say, does it matter? Because right? we, we've had this conversation before, and I think what I said to you was that I'm not super concerned because they seem to be winning the games. And in the case like last night, they dominated the game. And if not for John Gibson, that could have been a six, I don't know, six, three game or seven, three game. And if not for Carey Price in the postseason, they could have won the series too. Fair enough. Do sometimes you run into a hot goalie. They still won the game last night though. (laughs) Do good teams blow leads? I think over an 82 game sketch. Season, yeah, sure. They blow leads. I'm not sure they five, blow them. Five in the last, I don't know, eight? Five in the last eight? No, but like, what are we... What, so, we praise them when they're, they're shuffling the lines and doing things no, to no, try what, and experiment during the regular season. What I'm telling you is that they allowed 20 shots on goal last night. You completely dominated your opponent. Mm-hmm. And you still needed a skills competition to win that game. Yep. That, that, if I'm a Leafs fan, I'm worried about that. I'm sorry. Jack Campbell didn't make the stops that they needed to win that game. And you worry that this will creep up in the playoffs. Does it matter to the playoffs? No. Do the wins matter to the playoffs? No, so long as you're in the playoffs. No one gives a bleep about anything the Leafs do. But you're not concerned that they're blowing lead after lead in the regular season against solid teams? No, because I think their confidence is... like Even the head coach Sheldon Keefe comes out last night and he says... I don't really have any issues with the way we played the game last night. And you were, uh, I think at the beginning of this trend, you were the one that said, like, he should have nipped this in the butt at the beginning. And then he sort of fired a bullet a couple games ago and said we didn't play well. Soft and purposes. But I think he realizes here that this team is extraordinarily talented, similarly to previous years, but he understands what they're capable of, and that's why he's not willing to be critical of them all the time. How can you criticize a team when they do what they did last night in terms of dominating the game. I know the Ducks, I mean, the Ducks are actually a surprising team this year, so it's not like the Ducks are a bad because team. Because they couldn't hold on to a 3-1 lead. Like, what, what, what do you not get about this? How many good teams, no one is going to know the answer to this off the top of your head, so I'm not asking for it. Mm-hmm. How many good teams blow repeated 3-1 leads in the regular season over an eight-game stretch? 
I think if you, like, I don't think it happens no, no. very much. I think if you extrapolate that over 82 games, yes, that's not. We're it, not extrapolating. No, we're wondering if, a, if the adversity on this team right now is a little too much for them. Do you think they're concerned in the room about it? About blowing leads? Yeah. Yes, I do. Interesting. So you think that they are still willing to do what they're doing with the lines and sort of experimenting, which is basically what they're doing with the lines. They, they dominated offensively. Right. That's not what I'm worried about. That's not what anyone's worried about. People, like, do you think the Leafs have a good blue line? I think... <laughs> I mean, do you think that they have a good combination of defense? Period. Whether that's your forwards playing defense, your goalie, your defensive core. Do you think that the one question that this team has had for the last five years is whether or not they can defend when it matters most? And over the last little while, they have struggled to defend. I think when they are healthy, when their defense is fully healthy. So you need Jake Muzzin back in the lineup? No, but from a team perspective, I I don't think they're a poor team defensively. I don't. The entire year, they have, up until this little stretch, they have been very good at protecting leads. All, like, before, I guess it was three games ago, they were still, and they still are, they still have a good record after two periods when holding a lead, even after one period holding a lead. So, yes, I understand that as this trend continues, at some point you have to think about it, and it might factor into their heads. But this is a very talented team that I think when you're getting the results, you've got to be careful to not read too much into it because then you're just feeding the fire. That's the only thing that you can do is read into it because you're waiting until the playoffs. Otherwise, we're not going to talk about the Leafs until game 83. I know. Literally, see, we talked about it. Nothing matters until the playoffs. So if they fix this before the playoffs, it's completely irrelevant anyways. The Leafs were number one in the NHL in uh, goals against average. And now they're sixth. And that, this little stretch worries me a little bit. If they correct it, teams evolve. I'm not saying that they can't win around because they're giving up these leads now. But these little things that creep into the game, those are the things that we've been worried about for years if you, in fact, want the Leafs to win around. I love it. We're never going to agree on this. But, no, we need we need someone to come in and play and the arbitrator. Yeah, and play the arbitrator. Well, Sebi's here. We can, we can ask... We want, you want Sebi to? I know where Sebi's going on this one. <laughs> Absolutely, positively, I brought, no. I shouldn't have brought him in. Sebi. Uh, Habs fan, though, so it's not, it's not fair. What, what's that got to do with it? Okay. They're the biggest rival, but okay, go. Sebi? What is the question? Do you believe that they're okay right now and that nitpicking the defense while they're winning games means nothing, or you're worried about the defense when it matters most? Their defense is not that better. Our expectations for them are out of whack. What? Get out of here. <laughs> it's not, All they're doing is winning. No, but you, you're, what you're doing is, you're, I'll say that they can evolve, and I'm okay with that. So we'll, we might agree on it in the future. But right now, over the last few games, all they've done is blown leads. That's not good. Good teams don't blow leads. Period. 3-1 lead. Two-goal lead. Most dangerous lead in hockey. <laughs> And don't tell me they won, because they won in shootouts in three of those games. 
Campbell made the stops when he needed to. Okay, uh, I just have a quick bit, bit of news uh, before we go to break. Uh, the NHL, obviously, given the Evander Kane news about the Oilers today that we just went through, uh, the NHL sent out a tweet saying that they concluded the investigation of Evander Kane cross-border travel situation. There you have the statement there. Uh, announced today that concluded the investigation. Uh, report prepared connection. Yeah, 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 yeah. Kane remains an unrestricted free agent and is currently eligible to sign and play for any NHL. So club no discipline is restriction. Yeah, I skipped the most important part there. Yada so yada yada. Yada yada yada. The most important part. Uh, so he's free to sign with the Oilers, obviously, and there's no discipline. So it looks like he can play as soon as he signs the deal. So that's what the Oilers were waiting for this release, yes. and now probably in the next little while we'll see. Well, they had to wait for it. Still to come, <laughs> Kenny Smith on the Raptors. You and I are disagreeing. After the Canada, it's just, one dis- topic. Just disagree. No, no, it's just cahoots. one topic. Cahoots. What do you mean they're in cahoots? They're waiting for the announcement so they can make their announcement. Uh, Joel Embiid, an all-star boat. That's Kenny the Jet Smith. James Shyman ahead of Canada's massive World Cup qualifiers in Honduras. And up next, we take a closer look at Ryan Strzeznitsky's in- inspirational story and are joined by the former Humboldt Bronco. We'll do that next, right here on Tim and Friends. Remember it happened, and a lot of people don't remember it. And for me, remembering everything that happened was going to the intersection, and all of a sudden, the bus driver kind of screams, and I poke my head around down the aisle, and sure enough, there's a semi-truck coming this way, and you know, the initial collision happens, and everything's sort of black. It just looked like a bunch of grown men being boys and having fun like there were a bunch of kids in the in the schoolyard. It was just one of those moments. And away goes Johnny Goodrow. He'll work it into the line. Goodrow makes a move to the backhand, back in front, they score! What a rush by Johnny Goodrow! Was that something or what? We'll see if they can get one here. Charlie Moore launches it from half court and he gets it! Oh, he made it! Welcome back to Tim and Friends. We've got some breaking news surrounding Evander Kane. We've also got James Sharman coming up and Kenny the Jet Smith on uh, a TNT doubleheader day. So we will enjoy that. But in the time where it seems like there are forces working to divide Canadians, it's important to remember what unites us, especially in difficult times. I'm not sure I've seen this country rally like it did around the horrific Humboldt Broncos bus crash back on April 6th. 2018. It's a reminder of what we can be when we want to be. But I remember thinking at the time, what happens when the cameras go away? Like, what happens to these young men when they're left to pick up the pieces of their life surrounded by so much pain? What happened for Ryan Strzeznitsky is that he showed the kind of toughness and perseverance that make you wonder how we can bottle it and give it to everyone who needs it. Today, we learn more in this week's edition of The Barn, presented by Bauer. I am still playing in, in a different way. I play for the Team Alberta para ice hockey team. My name is Ryan Strasnitsky. I'm from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. I first got into hockey when I was about four years old. Uh, my dad got me into the sport. He's a diehard Calgary Flames fan. and So at the age of 16, I moved away uh, to go play midget AAA hockey and try and pursue my career that way to make the jump to Junior A. And on my 17-year-old year, I ended up playing a little bit of junior A hockey. 
and then obviously I got traded to Humboldt that year and we, we had a good season. I, I developed as a person and I developed as a hockey player as well. The, the coach out in Humboldt cared more about the person you were versus the hockey player you were and he, he kind of instilled that in all of us as being a good person around the community and always giving back and that's something I'll always remember and something I cherish, cherish with me today. When I was in Humboldt and the accident happened, I remember the, you know, the day, I remember it happening and a lot of people don't remember it. And for me, remembering everything that happened was going to the intersection and all of a sudden the bus driver kind of screams and I, I poke my head around down the aisle and sure enough, there's a semi truck coming this way. And you know, the initial collision happens and everything's sort of black. Devastating news from Canadian officials. The Humboldt Broncos junior hockey team from Saskatchewan was involved in a serious accident when a semi-trailer truck broadsided the team bus, killing at least 15. I don't remember how much long after I gained consciousness, but I remember kind of sitting up with my back against the semi-truck, kind of looking around at all the mayhem, trying to collect my thoughts, trying to understand what just happened, and seeing you know teammates and debris and, and all this stuff around me. My first instinct was just to get up. That's all I could repeat in my head was just get up. So I go to move and I'm thinking, okay, I'm not moving. I'm stuck under something. So I go to look at my legs and you know they're just not moving and there's nothing on top of them. So instantly something wrong is happening. That's when the adrenaline starts kicking in. I couldn't really speak. I had head trauma. It was just hard for me to try and get help. And I kind of basically was just a waiting game. It's one of those things where Unless you experience it, you don't understand the feeling of, am I going to live or am I going to die in this situation? So for me, it was just a waiting game. And luckily enough, someone was there to support. I'm not sure how long after. I have no concept of time in that scenario. But someone came to help, got loaded off into the ambulance, and you know, away went all the, uh, the rehab, the, the surgeries, all the things I had to go through. There have been times where I was immobilized. I couldn't move unless a nurse brought in a giant crane and lifted me out of bed just to get into a wheelchair to go do therapy something that I've experienced and I'm still trying to work through, but I feel like if you can overcome that, if you can get past little challenges every day, it's something as simple as getting out of bed every day. That's what I had to learn in the hospital. As parents, it's heartbreaking. It's just, the whole thing was heartbreaking anyway, but just to try and see your child struggle to do the simplest task, that was hard. But uh, he, he, he proved me wrong. <laughs> he proved everybody wrong. So. Things like that weigh down on you as like, oh, I'm, I can't do this. I can't, I can't, I can't. And as soon as you make a statement, that's the end. That's what your mind's gonna think. But if you leave it open, if you leave it like a question, how can I do this? I'm gonna do this, you know? Sort of positive talk to yourself. That's when you obtain the, the highest goals. Well, shortly after the accident, I understood the extent of my injuries. I knew that stand-up hockey might not be an option anymore. And just around the same time, Canada lost in the Paralympics to the Americans. Yeah, he woke up, he was all groggy, and he looked and he goes, hey dad, hey mom, hey buddy. And he kind of went in and out a little bit, and then he goes, who won the Olympics in uh, sled hockey? Canada lost 2-1 to the States. Huh, and then he goes, I think that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna play sled hockey and try and win Canada the gold. And I looked at Michelle, and then I looked at him, I went, okay, it starts today. There's so many avenues you can take and there's so many people that just kind of curl up and, and decide to give up. But I think no matter if you're still breathing, you still have an opportunity to get a chance back at life in whatever avenue you want to go down. So for me, that was hockey was always a safe haven. And I knew that's where I wanted to be, it was on the rink. It's the most equalizing opportunity for everyone out there. 
And again, at the end of the day, it's just about having fun. I knew I wanted to play a side of hockey and I knew I wanted to crack a spot on the Paralympic team. For those who haven't seen the barn before, it is aimed at making hockey a game where all feel welcome. And I would like to welcome Ryan to the show right now. Ryan, thanks for doing this. Thanks for being a part of Tim and Friends. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, this this part where we all feel welcome. Like I know there are parts of the country where this isn't always so, where people even scoff at the idea. But how important has that support of making you feel welcome to another part of the game? Has, how important has that support been to you? Uh, it's been incredible. It's made me want to go back in a sled each and every time. I mean, being around the teammates and coaches that I have and uh, being with little kids with disabilities and sleds as well, I mean, having that welcoming feeling is just, you know, over overwhelming and overpowering in, in a good way. So it makes you want to get back in a sled and, and you know, be the best you can at that, at that sport. Having seen it now from a different point of view, how important was that support group, support group that helped you make the transition to sled hockey? Like I've heard the story of Chris Cedarstrand, who reached out to you after the crash. Is that right? Yeah, he uh, he lives close by, so I was lucky enough to have him in my corner. And uh, right away, he wanted to help out and be my mentor and coach. And I've learned a lot from him. I'm still learning a lot from him. I mean, he's one of the most skilled guys I've ever seen in a sled. So uh, I'd love to follow in his footsteps one day because he's a, he's a great guy all around. So, so what is the difference? Like, how quickly have you been able to adapt? Um, I, it looks like a ton of fun, I'll be honest with you. Um, how quickly have you been able to kind of gravitate towards the game? It's, it's been a tr- tough transition. I mean, skating is probably the hardest part. Staying balanced on those two blades is, right. is uh, <laughs> super hard. But, I mean, the sticks, the stick skills and the hockey IQ carries over. It's just a matter of staying balanced while, you know, receiving hits and, and giving hits and trying to stay balanced while shooting. I mean, there's all these little details that I still need to learn and, and pick up and acquire. So uh, it's a work in progress. But, um, again, each and every ice time I'm getting better at it thanks to, you know, my coaches and teammates. So where is it? Is it like traps? Is it your triceps, biceps? Like where, where do you feel it the most? Uh, definitely the back and the, and the core. I mean, a lot of people that have taken out on sleds, they can't feel their core after for the next few days. So, uh, you know, they, they really enjoy it, but it's, it's definitely a big workout. Uh, we've had some great stories from the barn, but it's not just stories. I hear that you're also partnering with Bauer to get more people into the game. Yeah, we're partnering with Bauer to to kind of make everything more accessible. I mean, that's the whole point of this campaign is to make sure that people understand that hockey is accessible and that it's for everyone. And, and Bauer does a good point in that uh, during the commercial, right? You have you know people of color, people in sleds. You know, everyone is welcome to play the sport, and that's what Bauer is really trying to prove here: uh, make it more cost-effective, accessible, and you know, welcoming everyone. You know, that same feeling that I got welcoming uh, to the world of sled hockey is the same feeling that uh, Bauer wants to give everyone wanting to get into the sport. So do you, uh, do you go out and work with kids in sleds? Yeah, we have a program out in Calgary here at uh, Windsport, uh, the Canadian Olympic Park, uh, with our AMP program that allows kids with disabilities to, to participate in sled hockey. I mean, even if you don't have a disability, it's something to try for sure if you're in the area, if you want to try sled hockey. But uh, mainly kids with disabilities having the opportunity to be a part of a team and kind of get that team atmosphere while playing the sport that they love. 
my core is absolute horse garbage, but I will try. <laughs> if I'm ever in Calgary, I would love to get out on the ice and give it a shot. Because, uh, frankly, I couldn't skate anyway, so maybe I can show off the hands <laughs> when I play. So, para ice hockey in Beijing. I know you've been in and around those players. How good are they to get to that level to make the Olympic team? They are incredible athletes. And I mean, I've played stand-up pretty much my whole life and I've seen some great athletes, but coming into the world of sled hockey, these athletes are next level. Like the, the amount of work they put in in the gym and, and on the ice is just absolutely, absolutely insane. I have nothing but respect for, for anyone who plays the sport and competes at that level. They are incredible and I'm learning lots from them. Do you think there's a chance in 2026? I mean, if I have the right mindset and put in the work, I think anything's possible. So how, how have you gone about, and this goes back to what I said going to the piece, like obviously there was so much in and around you and, and the fellow survivors of that crash when it happened. In the years since and the steps that you've taken, um, how hard has it been to be, to be able to put it back together and how important has sport been to help you do that? Uh, yeah, it's been a tough process. I mean... Each and every guy does their own thing now, but we stay close as brothers and uh, we've, you know, we respect everyone's, you know, privacy, but at the same time, we're there for each other. And I'm super proud of each and every guy, you know, where they, where they are now versus where they were at the start. So they are absolutely incredible guys and I'll always cherish that with me for the rest of my life. And uh, again, that sort of feeling of that brotherhood, that, that team, that family mentality, that feeling that is the same one I get with sled hockey. And they've been nothing but supportive uh, for me during my sled hockey career. So I'm really fortunate enough to have them in my corner and uh, I want them all to know that I'm in theirs as well. It's amazing and it's it's a good perspective that you guys, like everyone grieves differently. I've gone through it in my life a little bit where you, you try and see what people are going through, but even when you go through the same thing, it can be grieved upon differently. Listen, I had Caleb Dahlgren on the show. I'm not only impressed by both of you and the resilience that you've shown, but I'm inspired to do more, and I know I'm not alone when I say that. So thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. And uh, one day I hope to get to Calgary and get to Winsport, and uh, you can show me a few things. Yeah, let's make it happen. Thanks for having me. Awesome. There is Ryan Sersnitsky right here on Tim and Friends. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, more on the way, including some Raptors talk, some reaction to not only our Leafs conversation. No, your Les Mis speech. But else. Is it a Les Mis speech? I think we need to come up with a different way Dude, to describe it. People were hyped in the final scene. Did of you get hyped? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you do? Yeah, Rowan SM Potts is not allowed in any other corner. <laughs> uh, we got some feedback from our conversation about the Toronto Maple Leafs. Solomon writes in and says, playoffs. Playoffs? You can't blow leads in the playoffs. Hashtag Tim and Friends at Tim and Friends. Uncle Tim is right. Shammy writes in and says, Dressy has okay, fully checked the Kool-Aid. No, it's not. Okay. Robert writes in and says, everyone around the NHL is having a hard time keeping a lead. Oh, okay. The Maple Leafs aren't the only team going mm. through that. Okay. Are they the only team that has real expectations going through that right now? Potentially. Andrew writes in and says, have to admit it, I'm on Team Jesse in this Leafs debate. D is fine when healthy and shouldn't currently be a worry. Uncle Timmy needs to get past a lifetime of Leafs losing. And Andrew gets to a point here because I was fully invested in the Leafs bandwagon last year. I thought they were better than everyone else, including the Montreal Canadiens. Mm -hmm. 
And at 3-1, I looked like a genius. Mm -hmm. I looked like I was there. I looked like that belief was well-founded. And then it all happened again. And that's why I'm in this spot where I feel like it's all happening again. But you're right. They may be biased. They may be able to evolve. Like, I'm okay with that. But right now, they're not showing me that kind of resiliency. Yeah, I think... Uh, they still have half a season basically to try and figure this out. So I, I think if they were blowing leads and losing, I would be a lot more concerned. I know your point about last night, the fact that it was a shootout to skills competition. I understand that. Uh, but I think they are giving themselves a little bit of rope here in terms of being able to, to fix it because they still are putting up points and therefore moving forward, they'll be okay. Uh, and finally, listening to Tim McAuliffe on Tim and Friends talk about the Leafs legitimately makes me want to blow my brains out. Completely shocked this show lost 50% of their viewers. That's... This again coming from a Twitter handle, at Vesna Toscala. That's not factually correct, is it? Vesna Toscala. <laughs> I think his opinion on Leafs goaltending and their defense may be skewed a bit. Okay, yes. What was it? Vezina Toscala? Yeah. Didn't he allow a goal from like 120 feet away? Yeah. The Islanders? He, was, he was not bounce, a Vezina. Bounce, over? He was not a Vezina right. award winner. No. Okay, uh, let's go to basketball. The Toronto Raptors failed to build off their win against the Hornets and fell to the Bulls last night, 111-105. Led by DeMar DeRozan's 29 points, the Bulls handed the Raps their sixth loss in their last nine games. Tim, the Raps are weird. What do they need to do to get more consistent? said the Raps were weird yes the last game. Yeah, when they won, this, they lost. But this was a tough fight against a good team no, on the Freddy, road. I completely understand that, yes. Like I'm, the Gary Trent Jr. thing, to me, was a real learning experience. Like, if I'm Nick Nurse, like, yeah, I'm kind of upset the foul wasn't called, but you got to run back on defense. Yeah. Like, you can't get thrown out of the game. I, don't, I thought Tony Brothers, it was a soft ejection or as soft as an ejection that you can get when you have – tied a season high with 32 points in your yeah. second straight game. Like, there should be some leeway there, but you can't get your second technical at that point of the game. A two-point game under two minutes to go, yeah. um, that to me is part of the growing evolution of this team. But Gary Trent Jr. has been really, really good over the last little while, and I think when he was out of the lineup, you saw how important he was as a shooter. Because he, he's one of the guys on this team that can actually shoot the ball. And I think that's one of the major of, concerns few, yeah. that they have ahead of the trade deadline. It's like, okay, you get in a rut here. Who's going to bail you out? You have Freddie, but Freddie's numbers have been down, ticked down the last little while. Gary is one of those guys, if he can get his feet set, he's a pretty good shooter. But they need more of that. Like, if, if you're looking ahead to the trade deadline here, what, what do you think are the biggest needs for the Raps? Yeah, shooter, point guard, big. That's a lot of needs. Uh, I think they're going to add. It'll be interesting. I know Daniel Teese is one guy that's yeah. been linked to them. Uh, he's also a guy you'd understand why because he burns them every time he plays them. <laughs> Just soak them uh, all in. But I think there's a lot of needs in this Goran Dragic expiring contract. will be interesting to see what they do and how they go about it at the deadline. Yeah, just get someone who can factor into the rotation so you don't have your guys playing like 45 minutes a night all the time. Yeah, I think if you trade a $20 million contract, you'd probably get someone. Good luck with that. I mean, that's going to be difficult. Uh, Kenny Smith coming up a little later. We'll talk grabs and uh, more around what's going on in the NBA. I want to get to some reaction from, I changed it. I realized, Les Mis, maybe you weren't down with that one. So why don't we go like Braveheart level of 
pumped up. I don't, I don't know if I got to that level, but I, I was definitely I, don't know. Aim, I was aiming that high. I don't know. Once Some I got are, into it, mm, people disagree. But they can't take out freedom. <laughs> people are yeah. People are William Wallace. Yeah. People are pretty pumped. Uh, Ghostly writes in, my man. Uh, Canada soccer, get that soundbite because I'm ready to run through an entire firing squad. Uh, yeah, LFG, you yeah, know what that means. Uh, Alan, all aboard the hype train, Canada men's national team. Were you afraid of LFG? Extraordinarily afraid. I've never said that before. I've never said that before. I'm not saying it. Uh, Eve says, highballer hype man running through walls, which is what I said um, immediately following her speech. I was ready to go. Chuck says, nice to see someone giving... Canadian soccer, it's due. I hope we've been doing that for years in this show, and it started with Sixero, and I'm yes. just carrying the mantle along. Uh, we sat in the Voyageurs section together once. Uh, I don't know if I'd have the guts to go to San Pedro Sula and sit in the Voyageurs <laughs> section, although I'm hearing it's not going to be sold out tonight. There's an important political appointment today. It might not be the same kind of reception that they got 10 years ago. Which was not a good one. No, bags of urine, like literally yeah. bags of urine being thrown at the team. Uh, barbed wire all around the stadium. It feels like it might not be that hot now. Still a different level of yeah. adversity oh, than way, what they've had. Way different. So, El Salvador, yeah. Costa Rica, Honduras, it's just different. Yeah. Uh, still to come, we'll get you set for tonight's hockey story. And after the break, with memories of that 8-1 that I'm talking about in San Pedro Sula, in the back of Canadian soccer minds, we'll talk to James Sharman to see if they can get over this hump. We'll see if he heard and he's ready to run through a wall. Next, take care of We've run a gamut so far, haven't we? Time for Real Sports Talk with Tim McAuliffe and friends of the show. Thank you very much, Team Dogs. Back here on Tim and Friends for the full hour on Sportsnet 360, which includes Kenny the Jet Smith from TNT. Half an hour to go on Sportsnet. James Sharman will join us shortly to tee up Canada and Honduras as World Cup qualifying gets back underway with the first of three in this window for Canada. But first, let's get you caught up on what you need to know. Here's what's happening at this hour. According to several reports, Evander Kane and the Oilers are in agreement for the rest of the season as we kind of sort of expected. The NHL's investigation into Kane is over and it appears as though he will be cleared from any disciplinary action. The 30-year-old reportedly could be with the team as early as this weekend. The deal, according to Elliot Friedman, is a $2.1 million cap hit prorated and includes a no-movement cause. Tough news for the Ottawa Senators. They'll be without Drake Batherson for a while. They'll reportedly miss at least two months with a high ankle sprain which he suffered on this stupid hit from Aaron Dell. Dell was suspended <laughs> three games for the incident. Batherson leading the Sens with 13 goals, 34 points, and was supposed to be going to an all-star game. Speaking of stupid, Jacob Panetta has been suspended for the remainder of the ECHL season for a racist gesture towards Jordan Subban on Saturday. Now, the suspension covers the remaining 38 games of the season, although Panetta can apply for a reduction and reinstatement after March 17th, which would be 21 games. I can't wait until we don't have to report on any of these stories anymore because they've stopped happening. According to reports, the 
Coyotes are in advanced discussions with Arizona State University to use their new multi-purpose arena as their temporary home starting next season. Jesse seems mystified. The facility is expected to seat only 5,000 fans. <clears throat> but yeah, no, there's no reason for Quebec, Gary. Yeah, there's no situation in which Quebec, the Coyotes would play in the arena for the next three to four years while construction on a yet-to-be-approved arena is complete. That seems like a fake story. Like, honestly. So they'll play three to four years in a 5,000-seat stadium at a university. As a, nat a national hockey league team. There's no, there's no need for Quebec. How can you even spin that? Do you remember, like, it was a couple weeks ago, right? Yeah. A couple weeks ago, Gary Bettman met with officials from Quebec City and said, we love the fact that they're continually interested and that they'll do things for the league, but unfortunately, we don't have a team for them right now. Yeah. Not even Quebec. Go anywhere that has an arena. Kansas City, Houston, yeah. What? But if you're going to go back to Arizona, you can't move anywhere. Yeah. And they can't sell the team because people know they're in trouble. Yeah, I was going to say the name of a Canadian show that made news south, you know, 30 minute uh, comedy, S C H I. Oh, yeah, great show. So if you're, if you're worried about saying WTF, would you say the name of the movie that Eugene Levy won awards for? I think you've done for, it before, which And Dan Levy me. has won awards for. I think you said it once before, so that insulates Shit's me. Shit's Creek. Yeah, All right, more go. hockey nice. talk coming up in a bit. James Sharman will also join us in Miramar. It's the name of a show. We're about two hours away from kickoff in San Pedro Sula's Canada tries to stay atop the table in the final round of World Cup qualifying. They have six games left as they attempt to qualify for their first World Cup on the men's side since 1986. So how have they gotten to this spot? Let's take a look back at the journey so far with Charmin, Craig Forrest, and Laura Armstrong. were that this team was sort of on the brink of potentially being a golden generation. But, but no one, I don't think, really foresaw the team soaring quite this high. Canada has done it! Bring on the octagon! That's all that's left between Canada and a first World Cup berth since 1986. Okay, they've proven against these lesser opposition with great quality, um, demolish them. Um, what have we got next? And that was going to be the question. It's Canada. It's El Salvador. Canada has a battle on their hands tonight. No Davies. He has a PCL injury. And the question was, is this team more than Alfonso Davies? Make a three! I think in that El Salvador game, we saw that depth. And Canada moving up the table in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. That was a jumping off point for where we're seeing Canada at today. The passion, the energy, the pride. It's emanating that buzz from BMO Field in Toronto, Ontario. I've always been waiting for that moment, that special moment for this team, where we'll recollect in years to come and say that was the time, that was the tipping point, this team became real. Davies takes it away! Alfonso Davies keeps it himself! Goal! Alfonso Davies! Are you kidding me? Definitely the goal. 
that will go down if Canada make the World Cup as that iconic moment in Canadian soccer. We can say to Canada, hey, I've actually arrived, I'm here, I will save you, I will take you to the promised land. I think that is everything. Alfonso Davies in that moment had to be up there uh, with some of the best moments in Canadian soccer period. The Maple Leaf remain undefeated. This is the land of snow and ice. This is Canada versus Mexico. If the Canadians can pull off three points, they could find themselves at the top of the table. There's still, I think, that inferiority complex within the fan base that, yeah, when we really play the best teams, we're not gonna really come out on top when we have to. And in Edmonton, you really felt like this team was on the map. Alistair Johnson has a strike, Kilcho spills, Larry! Oh, Canada! Oh, baby! Touchdown! Sensational! Canada enjoyed every single moment of this. They just looked like a bunch of grown men being boys and having fun like they were a bunch of kids in the in the schoolyard. It was just one of those moments. And for the first time in 21 years, the Canadian men's national team beats Mexico. And to win that match validated what John Herman's done with this side and where these players are at. Arguably the biggest result in Canadian men's football. And it put them at the, the top of CONCACAF in this region. It was just so special and it goes beyond football, I guess, in many, many ways, beyond the sport itself which just symbolizes just how it kind of got this country behind it. This team is not a surprise. If this team gets to the World Cup, it will get to the World Cup because it is talented and because it is capable and because it deserves to be at the World Cup. Right now, quite frankly, they're the best team in CONCACAF. Pretty, pretty big game for Canada tonight. Now, I've chronicled what it's been like to follow this team over the last couple decades. It's hurt. My next guest has had a front row seat for much of it. James Sharman of Sportsnet and the Footy Prime Podcast joins me now from his Toronto area home. Sharms, what's up, man? Hey, not much, Timmy. Good to be on. Exciting times once again. Uh, yeah. Good to have Feeling you Feeling pretty confident. I, I, yeah, I was just going to say, like, I, I tried to convince the hardcores that this is a different team. But how nervous are you heading into what is basically top of the table? Not basically, it is top of the table versus bottom of the table. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't say that I'm nervous, but I'm always leery when you play right. Honduras and a team like Honduras on the road because we know what their, their tricks are, right? They're not a very good team. I know John Herbman um, yesterday was, was talking them up, saying that they're a good team on the counterattack. They can score goals, but that's what you must do. The reality is they've been really poor. In, in this window, um, scored five goals, 15 against, conceded leads. Um, but that being said, they're, they're at home and we know what teams like Honduras do in Central America, right? It's not pleasant. It's nasty. That um, They'll cheat if they have to. They'll bite. They'll claw. They'll do whatever it takes. And we saw a little bit of that in the first match, right? The first yeah. game, which is a real learning experience for this Canadian team against Honduras in the 1-1 draw. You know, I, I listened to my notes from that game to me. And the words disgusting came up several times. It was horrible what Honduras did. But it's what they do. And now Canada's ready for it. So, yeah, I'm not nervous. Canada should get points in this match. Um, but am I concerned about, you know, how they might go about getting through 90 minutes? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, how do you think they cope without Alfonso Davies? 
You know what? It's it's funny because Herbin was saying this week that as much as you don't want to miss out on Alfonso Davis, he's the best player in the entire region, arguably. But it allows him to try some different things, different combinations. So as much as they're on the road um, and they're still going to be an aggressive team because that's what Canada does, they, they can replace him in some regard with other good good wide players. Tejon Buchanan can step up. Uh, but we'll see this team try some new things out there, I think, today. And, and that is exciting in itself. So you don't want to lose Alfonso Davis, but quite frankly, at, at this point, they've shown that they are more than Alfonso Davis. And, and that's maybe been the biggest takeaway from this qualifying campaign. We maybe saw that at the Gold Cup as well a couple of years ago now. They can play without him, but let's be honest, um, it, it's not going to be quite as dynamic as, as with him. You see my 11 there. You know, I mean, listen, trying to guess John Herbman's 11s and, and tactics, Tim, I mean, yes. I'm going to look like a complete moron here, right, when he gets the 11 out there. Yeah. I'm going a good old-fashioned 4-4-2. Right. I, I want to see Richie Larea out there, but that is the expense of a Sam Adekubi, who's been so good recently as well. But you see there Buchanan playing in Alfonso Davis's role, potentially in a 4-4-2. Um, I, I think he'll be the, the key there. It's interesting because uh, for those who don't really know, Herdman will move things in, in the middle of a game. He'll switch guys from side to side, and your 4-4-2 doesn't look like a 4-4-2 uh, much anymore. But you left Steven Eustachio out. Is that confirmed that he's not going to play today, or do we, do we know yet after what was a reported COVID-19 positive in Portugal? Yeah, that, that's it, right? It was reported. Right. Um, Kerb, uh, Herman kept his, his cards close to his chest saying that He's not with them right now. This was yesterday. Mm-hmm. He's day-to-day. He could be available any time. He wouldn't go beyond that. So if he starts today, it, it wouldn't shock me, to be honest with you, but it would surprise me a little bit. You know, I'm thinking yeah. at some point in this window you'll see him. But I tell you what, you mentioned missing out on Davis. Missing out on Estacchio might be even more important. He's been their, their MVP for me so far in this qualifying campaign. He's absolutely key. And just got to move to Porto, by the way, which, yeah. which hasn't got much press over here. I know that, but it should do because that is a huge club, and a Canadian playing in a huge club like Porto is very exciting. Uh, we, we talked about that when you were in Edmonton, like his presence on the ball and his patience and, and what he's able to bring to the table. Obviously, Porto was listening to our conversation and Clearly. decided they would say, they're top of the table in Porto. That's a Champs League team right now. I know, I know. And as Sid, obviously, being a Benfica fan, I wish he was here right now to talk about how Porto, <laughs> how Porto are just, is you know, top of the table. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> but, but the fact is, you're right. I mean, this is a, you know, a very strong league in Portugal and one of the great storied clubs of European football in Porto taking a flyer as a loanee. I know he's a lone player, but I'm sure they'll sign him at the end of the season because he's been that good for, for his club um, for, for a couple of years now. And he's been one of the... You know, I think a lot of people who, who watched the team closely knew about Stefan Nostakio before yeah. this qualifying campaign, but I've been so impressed by him. He is dominant out there at times. Uh, for those who don't know, like the North American sports fan that doesn't understand what the loan means, uh, they, they have the right to purchase them at the end of the loan. So it's kind of like a professional tryout to see how he fits in the team. And uh, given their status and the status of the team that he's coming from, if they want him they will pay for him, they will sign him, they will keep him. So who among the rest? Listen, the, the beauty of this is even with Davies out and if Estacchio is in fact out, there are still big-name players on the pitch for Canada. You've got Jonathan David, who has been linked to a lot of big-name teams, yeah. uh, even though he's done real damage for Lille in Ligue 1. You've got Tejan Buchanan. You've got Kyle Lahren at, at Bishtikas, who is now Canada's all-time 
uh, scoring leader, at least tied at this point. Who do you think can really make an impact on this game and maybe stand out if those two stars are out? Well, you mentioned uh, up front, Laren and David. Um, Laren's been, he's just boss qualifying, right? Uh, 11 goals, I think, tops and all. Um, David hasn't quite been the, the Lil David for his country just yet. He's had moments, he's scored a couple of goals, some big goals as well, um, but he hasn't quite found the same form. So, you know, I, I suspect we'll see him playing today alongside Carl Laren. And they haven't played much together before and it hasn't always worked. Um, but David doesn't work so well by himself. So that'd be fascinating to watch. And if David steps it up and finds his game right now, I mean, that is really exciting for this team because we've got this far, first place in CONCACAF, you know, bossing some some really very good teams yeah. without John David being on top form. So for me, he, he's the standout one to watch. If he can just duplicate that form. I mean, like you said, there's a lot of rumors, right? There's a lot of pressure on that guy. Big money move to a very big club's coming uh in the summertime, his agent said that as much, uh, perhaps not in January, although the rumors are out there, but he's moving at some point. So, yeah, he's definitely got his, his, one, his eye, one eye on, on another big European club. Um, let's hope he can focus on his country uh, today in the next couple of games. Uh, Sharms, I feel like uh, when Sid and I did the show uh, 10 years ago leading into Canada-Honduras in the very same stadium they're going to play in tonight, we talked to you that day, uh, teeing up the game, talking to Craig Forrest about uh, the urine bags that were going to hit the Canadian players, um, the batteries, what it means to play in a place like uh, Stadio Olimpico in San Pedro Sula. There are only three players left over from that team. Uh, the captain, Atiba Hutchison, Milan Borian, who I don't think, uh, given where he grew up and where he came from, he's intimidated by anything, <laughs> and Lucas Cavallini, who spends a lot of time playing in Liga MX. Um, but what, what's the... Like, is there a hangover from what happened 10 years ago with this team? I don't think so. I think that's one thing we can really look at John Herbert and what he's done and what he's instilled in this club. And that is that uh, they've separated themselves from the previous generations and that game in particular. And, and, you know, I've heard people say this is a chance for revenge, right? It's like, no, they've played five times since that match, yeah. right? They, they beat them before, right? They have beaten them you know, against Honduras, you know, they've drawn the last three, I think. So, and it's not as if this game is a must win or a must draw for either team. I mean, Honduras, let's face it, they're not going to qualify. Maybe mathematically they can, they need to get three points, obviously, but they're not going to qualify. Canada, you know, they, they could even lose uh, tonight, you know, and, and they would still be in a pretty good position. So it's not an important game uh, compared to what it was back in 2012. So I think we've got to move on. You know, if Canada wins 8-1, great. You can officially say, yep, there go the demons of the past, right. thankfully. But I'm, I'm, I, I don't buy into that at all. I just, for me, and I, I don't know if you saw the start of our show, but I kind of, kind of went on a little bit of a rant. And part of it had to do with Atiba and how cool it would be for him to, to get that vengeance, but for it to come with a World Cup at the age of 39 after all the time that he's put into this program, it would be unbelievable, eh? I think, honestly, mate, it's Canada's great sporting embarrassment that that guy isn't, isn't a household name yeah. in, in this country. What he's done in his club career, what he's sacrificed for his country, um, everyone should know who Atiba is. He may not start every game these days, right? You know, yeah. and, and he's 38. Huge he's 38, but have you seen the guy, though? He yeah. is so fit. You know, yeah. I want to be Atiba when I'm when I was 28. Who am I kidding? Never mind, um, 38, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, he's a guy, he's a wonderful servant yeah. for his country, and to get a spot in a World Cup and then maybe hang the boots up 
would be a, a great way to go out. Oh, without a doubt. And uh, I would be there standing up uh, applauding him if indeed that's the way he ended up going out. By the way, uh, also some ties to TFC in the last little while, but we won't walk down that road. Who isn't? Who hasn't yeah, though? Yeah, that's true. Javinko yeah. is there. Bloody. Uh, and it's Just by everyone. Yeah, it doesn't a matter. Bloody big deal 2.0. Uh, <laughs> always a bloody big deal when you join me. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, pal. Uh, there is James Sharman. Again, Canada, Honduras. You can see it across the sports net family of channels tonight. Busy night on the ice as well. That includes six Canadian teams. We'll get the tee-ups on the Canucks, Jets, Oilers, and Flames. After the break, Hockey Central coming your way on Sportsnet. Kenny Smith on Sportsnet 360 with us here on Tim and Friends. Please stick around. It's our livelihood. It's how we put food on the table. Welcome back, kids. Busy night on the ice with 10 games and six Canadian teams. We've got an all-Canadian matchup in Winnipeg as the Jets host the Canucks. Now, the Canucks activating Thatcher Demko, Yaro Halak, and Connor Garland off of the COVID protocol list. I think we can... Even if you're a Jets fan, like, we've come through a lot. Demko will join the team in Calgary. So the surprisingly good Spencer Martin gets the start once again for the Canucks tonight with more on the Jets side. Let's send it to Sean Reynolds in Winnipeg. Sean, take it away. Well, Tim, the Winnipeg Jets have over half their season remaining, so there's plenty of time to turn this thing around. But that doesn't mean there's not a sense of urgency within this club. They've been talking about it during this five-game losing streak. They need to start winning, and they need to start winning now. Far too many teams have moved ahead of them in the standings, and while they had a number of games in hand on a lot of those teams, Games in hand don't mean anything if you keep losing them. Quite simply, they can't allow any more teams to get ahead of them in the standings. That's why tonight's game against the Canucks is so important. They are tied in points, something that was unthinkable not long ago. If the Canucks win, the Jets would then have to leapfrog five teams to get into that final playoff spot in the West. So if they want a better hold on their own playoff fate, a win tonight against the Canucks would be a very good start. Tim. Thank you very much, Sean. A lot of people like the Jets going into this year, myself included. The Oilers have won two straight after snapping that seven-game losing streak. They're back on home ice against the Preds tonight, a game you can see regionally on Sportsnet West. Miko Koskinen will make his third straight start for the Edmonton Oilers. The Flames red hot as they roll into St. Louis and dominate a rematch from earlier this week when the Flames beat them 7-1 in Calgary. You can catch that one. 8 Eastern on Sportsnet 1. We get a tee up now. Fine looking Ryan Leslie, right? Well, Tim, as we know, the uh, Calgary Flames absolutely red hot of late. Last night, uh, they beat up on the Columbus Blue Jackets. 62 shots. That's a franchise high, and they go on to win 6-0. This is a back-to-back scenario, though. They're in St. Louis tonight, as uh, probably hockey fans are well aware of what happened on Monday night. The Blues and Flames in Calgary. That was a 7-1 beatdown for the Flames. They absolutely destroyed the Blues, but that was a tired team. Tonight, expect things to be very different between St. Louis and Calgary, but the Flames do want to rely heavily on a St. Louis boy, and Matthew Kachuk always loves going home. You know, he and Johnny Gaudreau, one of the best duos in the National Hockey League in the last 11 games, they have combined for 22 points each. That's 44 points. They'll look to continue this hot streak when they're in St. Louis in a short time. They have been absolutely unbelievable and absolutely dominant. And you're right. Uh, 
It was the second half of back-to-backs mm-hmm. for St. Louis. So the NHL has returned the favor. And you have to think, after smacking them the way Calgary did in, uh, at Saddledome, they will probably be responding in a big way today, or at least trying to in St. Louis. We're not going to address that we just went from uh, Sean Reynolds, who's trying to steal your beard energy, into Ryan Leslie, who's your lookalike, back-to-back? Uh, I, no, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Uh, I, I do believe that the hair on top of his head uh, is a little bit of a differentiator. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah. Okay, but, uh, yeah, no, look, I, I think the flame, <laughs> there it is. What's it good? Which is interesting to me, not about uh, the facial hair, oh, uh, because I'm getting tired of my own beard right now, Uh-oh. so I'm going to move on Itchy? pretty quickly. Ah, I just, I've grown tired of it. I need, new, I need to change my hairstyle. Cue the tweets. And I, yeah. Here we go. Um, have you looked at Jordan Binnington's numbers over the last little while? Not good. Uh, in five starts in the month of January, it looks like he's not going to start tonight. It looks like a battle of the backups in yeah. St. Louis tonight. Yeah. But Binnington's numbers in the month of January, five starts again, 502 goals against average. I repeat, a 502 goals against average and a save percentage of 869. You wonder what the future holds for what was one of the main reasons why. I mean, they lost some key parts of the defense core after winning the Stanley Cup, but Biddington was the big reason why they won that Stanley Cup. It's one of the weirder things uh, in sports when goalies just kind of lose it. And, and we, like, we've seen it before. It happened with me. That's why I became a forward. Like, goalies can get in ruts that they cannot recover from. And you just wonder if, like, how do you work your way out of it? You have to work extra hard to try and get yourself out of it. And luckily for the Blues, I think they've sort of built up a little bit of a a safety net here in terms of having a really good start to the season up to this point. So maybe they can uh, sustain Bennington while he tries to work his way back from uh, a bad stretch, which is what this is. And and we've seen a lot of goalies around the league sort of battling through difficult stretches. Jacob Markstrom turned it around. Uh, who they're playing. He was struggling there for a little bit, and 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 now they're back. And banged up, to be fair. And and Bennington's been a little banged up. But you look at the – it's not just January, right? Like, he's 11-9-3 on the season. The goals against 327. The save percentage, 901. Like, that's that's average. That is average. That might be below average at 901, right? Like, the magical 900 mark. Um, Tied 34th in the NHL. Not great. At 901. That's not what you expect from Bennington. And for the Blues to be successful, uh, he has to be the Jordan Bennington that you saw in the past. All right. Uh, one other story that we can tell you about breaking today, at least in the last couple hours. Uh, Evander Kane did not receive any supplementary discipline from the NHL after they looked into his vaccine situation Cross at the border. border. Yeah. Um, so the Edmonton Oilers have signed Evander Kane. Uh, he's not going to play for them tonight. But let's be honest, if Evander Kane is right, and that's a big if, but if Evander Kane is right, he can really help this team. It feels like the Oilers have been struggling. They made moves in the offseason to address their forward depth. Still doesn't seem like it's worked out adequately, which is why they're looking for a guy like Evander Kane to come in. And he has a proven track record. You take his character questions aside, proven track record of producing. 
Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. And the track record you can't really put aside. No, uh, definitely Hopefully not. he gets the help that he needs while he is in Edmonton and he can get right. Uh, all right, time now to send it to Hockey Central on Sportsnet. It is Carolyn Cameron, Anthony Stewart, Sammy Cosentino. They always have fun. You ever watch Hockey Central? That trio always have fun. Look at you set for a busy night on the ice. As for us, we'll continue on Sportsnet 360. Kenny the Jet Smith joins us to talk a little NBA. Will we get to the Lakers today? Hmm, back in 60 seconds on 360. It is a lighter night in the NBA in part because of the TNT doubleheader. They need the spotlight focused, and it is indeed focused on the early game. Some drama between the Lakers and the Sixers as they get set to go toe-to-toe in Philly, and we have some updates surrounding that first game of the double day. We'll see if Kenny wants to talk about the Lakers, but LeBron James will not be playing tonight. He's going to miss the game against the Sixers due to a sore left knee. Uh, he's day-to-day, according to Sham. So one of the things that's uh, working for the Lakers is LeBron, and they're going to be without him tonight, which brings us to something that's not working with the Lakers, and that is Russ Westbrook. Look at that. This is the look or the fit that Russ showed up in Philly with today. Uh, cut or uncut. Is that Burberry? Is that what that is? Or I, don't, is that his own, I don't think it is. Is that his own? I don't, yeah. I mean, Russ goes to the, the beat of his own drummer. Yes. Uh, let's see if Kenny the Jet Smith uh, would rock the Russell Westbrook fit. <laughs> I mean, Russell has always brought an interesting game you into know? the arena. Yeah. Kenny, uh, would you ever be wearing the multicolored plaid into the arena? Depends how old I am. <laughs> Depend on my age. So you can get yeah. away with it when you're a kid. Oh well, no! What like Russell Westbrook age for sure? You can get away with that. I mean, you think about before he started doing the extremities extreme. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like no one was doing that stuff. Everything used to be like, oh, his look looks crazy. Now every player in the league is dressed like Russ when they walk in. <laughs> when you come, when they, they dressed like him ten years ago. So yeah, I, I think that Russ is not only creates the fashion, he is the fashion. You are right. I was shaking my head 10 years ago, and now you look around the NBA, everyone Every wearing those tight-ass like pants that are ripped and the shirts yep. ripped. And, yeah. Everybody looks like Russ. <laughs> Solid point. All right, Kenny. Do we talk about the Lakers today? I mean, we, every week we come on here, we have the wait till AD comes back. We go. I'm, I'm just giving it to you straight up. Are we talking about the Lakers today? Well, they're playing today. We could talk about it. <laughs> All right. So here's – I know it's, it's, this is the competitor. This is not you guys. But I saw ESPN, the daily podcast today. Ramona Shelburne is on. And the title of the podcast today, The Lakers' Russell Westbrook Experiment is Failing. Why? Question mark. Do you agree with the, sta- <laughs> with the statement made on my ESPN podcast today? I mean, I have no idea what the expectation was of, you know, people who say that. I just don't know what, what, like, if you tell me, oh, I really thought that they would be where Golden State is, I'd say, oh, well, maybe then it is, it is failing you. But I would also ask them, would you expect that AD wouldn't miss 17 games and LeBron wouldn't be missing a game tonight? Like, they've never had the lineup. So in terms, like, he's not playing with the guys that he – came to play with and, and and in terms of this stage in his career there's certain limitations that he has and there's certain limitations that ad has and lebron has they, that they all have but they haven't played together so how is it a failure 
And if it, if it hasn't happened, I, I just don't understand that part. The, the Could f- they have a better record now? Possibly. Right. Would I expect them to be where Golden State is without AD? No way. The feeling is is that they're going to scapegoat Russ Westbrook in L.A. And listen, you grew up in one of the toughest markets in, in all of North American sport in New York. Um, you now work in the media. Is this just an L.A. thing where people need content? So the Lakers being the biggest in the market decidedly get a lot of spotlight even when maybe this is just a couple of injuries and we got to figure this out? That's my answer. Yeah. <laughs> what your question is is my answer. <laughs> like, that is a, you, you, you know. Like, come on. Like I said, we talked about it last week. Yeah. If this was the Denver Nuggets, we would not be talking. No one's talking about the MVP of the league and the Denver Nuggets having a time where they struggled this year. Yeah. No one's talking about that. Without Jamal They're talking Murray. about the Lakers. And, you know, you have, you know, Hall of Fame players, obviously, on the team, um, which makes it even more intriguing. But, take away their names off the back of their jerseys and say, well, can this guy do that? Can this do this? You go, well, they've been hurt. How can they be a good team? They've been hurt. And, um, you know, they have everyone's had the protocol, but they've had both. So now they're, they're, they're hovering out eight. They probably end up at six or five. They won't get home court advantage, and they're going to have to win games on the road. I don't know if it's too hard to say, but I don't know if the Philly fans will be saying Embiid P today because he has been playing at an MVP level. Uh, I don't know. Like, I knew he was good. I didn't know that he could drag his team to, what, 12-4 and four now since they hit 500. Uh, he's scoring 30 points basically every game. Like, he's got to be the favorite along with Steph Curry to win the MVP this year, doesn't he? Well, I think his maturation has come from being healthy. Right. You know, you can't be an MVP candidate if you're not on the floor. He's been on the floor. And I've always said this, especially in the summertime, when guys are rehabbing, it's different from working out. He's working out and improving his skill because I don't think he's rehabbing anymore. So he's not worried. He's not, you don't see him before the game getting these stretches, massages on the bench, like outside before the game. You're like, he's just getting ready to play. And when you're getting ready to play, your skill level goes up. When you're getting ready to rehab, you just run faster. It doesn't make you a better basketball player. And so for him, you know, he has been probably, at least visibly, the healthiest that he's been ever in his career. When Kenny Smith becomes GM, I hope he does his first interview after TNT with us. But if you were the GM of the Philadelphia 76ers, would these numbers and that type of play from Joel Embiid change how you would deal with the Ben Simmons situation? No, it wouldn't change how I deal. It would just make me a little more um, urgent. Uh, But I wouldn't change what I would want for it. But the urgency on how I would look for it would be a little faster because these type of years don't happen all the time, just being around great players. You know, uh, other than maybe Michael and LeBron, uh, Kobe, They're, most guys have years where they're the best player in the, in the, in the, in the world. Right. They don't have decades <laughs> where they're the best player. So right now he's having a year where he's the best player in the world possibly. I have to know that and make something around it good enough to make the best player in the world have the best team in the world. 
Right. Um, before people start yelling at me about Giannis, I know he's there too. He's having a wonderful year, and I didn't. Oh no! And, and John Morant and Jokic. Yeah. Ja, every time you know what the funny thing is, every time I say, "Man, uh, Embiid's the MVP," then Jokic would go thirty-four and twenty-one. Every time I say that Embiid's the MVP, then John Morant will do twenty and twenty. Like I like man, these guys are like, no, 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 no. He might start running away. He might be the favorite, but he's not gonna run away with it. If he, and if he slips in the second half, we're right there. The, the John Morant's are really interesting. Like, are we seeing the evolution? When he went out of the lineup and they started winning games, like, I wonder if that was the, like, the fire under his rear end that, oh, my team might be really good right now, and if I can get back and be that guy, we can be good. And he has been that He's been everything they need. Like, it's unbelievable. We, I, I think the one thing that I've always said about him that I still continue to notice is that he'll make the pass prior than the shot. And so what that does is you keep three or four of the guys' confidence at a, such a high level. Um, he's not a volume shooter, meaning he doesn't need 25 shots to get 25 points. So he gets into the lane, and he'd rather make that pass than make this shot. And that gets his teammates excited when he has success. That is what chemistry is all about. Last four games, 41-5-8, and 35-13 rebounds, 6 assists, 38-6-6, and six, and 33-8-14 and 14 dimes. Like, these are just numbers. Speaking and you go, oh, and he might even not be the MVP. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Um, so speaking of numbers, what the hell are the Los Angeles Clippers doing without Kawhi without PG and coming back from, I guess it's now four double-digit deficits in the month? I, I actually was at two of them. I was like in, in yeah. L. I was at the game. And I, and, and I was so close to walking out twice. <laughs> and I, and this is garbage. I'm not watching this. And all of a sudden, they make these comebacks. And, because, you know, I don't even know if you go to uh, any visiting team's board and you go, who am I going to stop tonight? I don't even know if they have a game plan for what they do. Right. I think that is the post, most difficult thing. They don't have a game plan for what they do. That's crazy. Were there? Were you involved with any? I mean, we saw a 34-point comeback. We saw it just the second time in like 17,000 games in the NBA where a team has come back from seven or more down with under 20 seconds left. Were you ever involved in a game, be it – college and the pros were either you were the team that came back on something like that or you were the team that had to come back against them my teams were too good to ever get down that <laughs> the... <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> all right before you so you have none of those no i i, I can't remember i can okay. remember uh giving up a 20-point lead to Phoenix Suns in the playoffs twice. Um, we were, and that's when they started calling us Choke City, and which later became Clutch City because we got down 3-1 because we were up in the third quarter, both games up 20 at home. Right. They came back and beat us. We were down 0-2, and then we wound up winning the series. So, and then we were down 3-1 the second year, same thing. So I've been up and, and lost leads like that. Right. I've never been on the other end. I can't remember that much, no. Chuck was on those Suns teams, right? Yeah. Do you ever you ever tell Chuck about that? 
Well, you know, they thought they had it, you know. And, uh, <laughs> I think he's – every, every time the ring comes out, you know. Yeah, it's, t- it's tough on Chuck when you guys bring the rings out. Uh, we always love when, uh, when Kenny Smith comes out here. Appreciate your time, man. Thanks a lot, brother. Uh, there is Kenny the Jets. No Lakers next week. No Lakers. No Lakers next week. We don't need the content. We're not in L.A. <laughs> there is Kenny the Jet Smith right here on Tim and Friends. Is no, it just content? He did talk about the Lakers, so he, he's that's a t- win for us. Well, they're on the network. He's going to have to talk about them tonight. Yeah. He knew that. Is it just content in L.A.? Or at 24 and 24, are you legitimately worried that this experiment with Russell Westbrook didn't work? I am extraordinarily concerned me too I think I would have thought I thought at the beginning it wasn't going to work and then you sprinkle in Anthony Davis who we've talked about for years that can't stay healthy yeah so who are you leaving there and they have no trade chips either which is the crazy part like THT Taylor and Horton Tucker is the only one that they can really move you can't really move Russ's albatross of a contract so what do you do good luck to GM LeBron well they're they're gonna yeah that's I mean basically the podcast I'll sum it up they said GM LeBron Bleep this one up. Yeah, big time. And the fit isn't there. Uh, we'll see how it works out. LeBron not playing tonight, so watch games on our network. Time for one last break. We'll get you the last call. Let's talk some NFL, more Canada soccer. Rubinoff takes the reins next on Tim and Friends. All right, it might be last call with Jesse Rubinoff right now, but it's not going to be last call for me. I might, I might, there might be. A little bit of scotch during Canada, Honduras, and flipping over the hockey games. Tonight. It's that kind of night. Look, you got the people going off the top of the show. You got me going. I know Seb was ready to go. Heart was pumping. Uh, so I want to get to a couple of the takes from Twitter following up your speech. Uh, the Six Fan says Tim's speech gave me chills. Let's go Canada. Full body chills. I had chills too, which is just weird to have that in, in studio. There is some uh, tongue in cheek in all this, no? No, I actually did. The music. The music's like, not, not just your words, but the music, the combo. Uh, Dave said, wow, they need to play that Team Canada speech in the locker room tonight. Goosebumps, Timmy, goosebumps. Nice. Uh, it is the age of the internet, so let's see if they can uh, find a way to use it. Uh, Allison said, very inspiring. Let's go Canada. Cody, I have not sat down since that amazing speech. I'm ready for this game. That was obviously earlier. I wonder if Cody is still standing. And Sandra with uh, the Photoshop game. Very well uh, done. I can't, I can't take Sam's spot. Very, very well done. So obviously a lot of people very excited uh, before your speech and more are uh, probably Sam excited. Sam might be the next afterwards. one who signs on with a bigger club. Yes, definitely. Uh, speaking okay. of um, Canadian soccer as a, as a whole, Sebastian Javinko has joined Toronto FC for preseason training camp. This is real interesting, eh? Ayo. They're loading up. Listen, if if people are expecting him to come back the way he left, that's ridiculous. He's older, but the fact that he wants to come back to a team and has for a little while. Look how much fun he's having. That's pretty cool. Look at that smile. Top-level guy wants to come back. it is very cool. Uh, And final thing before we get really into last call. Uh, Jay Skeets, co-host of the No Dunks podcast, just wrote in. Um, this is a picture of Apollo Ono. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he said, never realized how much Apollo Ono looks like Tim McCallum. That's pretty funny. If, if I got you a pick when I was a kid or at the score when I had that bad soul badge, yeah. that's pretty damn close. We'll do a side-by-side probably There's tomorrow. one major difference. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, we understand. But that goes without saying. That's but, very well done. <laughs> 
Pretty good, Jay. By the um, way, uh, I once sat uh, behind. Javinko would came came back for the NBA Finals. Did you know that? He no. was gone, and he was back for the NBA Finals, watching the game with his family because he was that invested in the city of Toronto and the Raptors, and just a kind of a very cool. There have been a few guys that have come into this city and kind of adopted it and other places in and around Canada. Um, but that it was kind of cool for Sid and I sat behind him. And we were just like, is that Javinko? Yeah, the the anti-Justin Falk, if you will. Yes. Uh, one more thing. Uh, it appears Evander Kane to the Oilers' official. Uh, his agent, I believe, tweeting this out. Uh, agreed to contract terms with Edmonton Oilers for the rest of the 2021-22 season. We'll travel to Edmonton this evening. We'll wear jersey 91. So there you have it. That's his agent. Now on with uh, last call because uh, gotta get. We've done work on this. We should get to a couple of these stories. <laughs> we've heard the term "ice in your veins" before, but never have we seen it visualized. Patrick Mahomes is wearing a whoop during Sunday's game against Buffalo, and the data measures your heart rate indicates that his heart rate spikes didn't come during pressure pack situations, but rather while celebrating big plays. So it actually spiked the most when he was standing on the sidelines watching the Buffalo Bills at the end of the game and not when he was behind center making those plays. Timmy, uh, first of all, how impressed are you by this? Second of all, how's your heart rate before the show? It's very cool to see, but I didn't expect anything less from a top-level quarterback. Really? Oh, yeah. Joe Cool. Like, the one thing about, like, I think there's a lot of ridiculous sports in the Olympics, and a lot of people point to the biathlon as being one of those ridiculous sports. But the whole point of cross-country skiing and shooting is when you shoot, you have to drop, you have to manually drop your heart rate, you have to woosa in order to calm yourself enough to shoot while cross-country skiing over several miles, right? Yeah. So that's the beauty of it. And Joe Cool, like every one of those quarterbacks, the stories were in the in the toughest moments, they're able to keep their cool. And and honestly, like when people tell me there's no such thing as clutch, I say BS. It's that you don't poop down your leg in massive moments. That's the definition of clutch, that you're able to stay the same when it matters the most. And for Patrick Mahomes, it doesn't surprise me. It, it kind of does make sense because he's out of control when he's on the sideline watching the Bills. And when you're under center, he right. can control the outcome for the he's most part. He's the dude. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. That's the ultimate fate. Like, Definitely. Is it not? Yeah. Like that your, be- your beats per minute go down when you have the ball in huge moments. Big fan of the whoop data. Yeah. We should have it on the show. Uh, back on December 29th, the better had a four-leg first basket parlay that if it hit, would pay out over... $76,000, Jalen Brown, Devin Booker, and Rudy Gobert. Was this all hit, gems? all hit. And they needed Chris Stapps Brzingis to hit the first basket of the game. Had a wonderful chance at it, but missed the layup, meaning the parlay is a bust. Brzingis sent a signed jersey <laughs> saying good. sorry to the better. <laughs> Tim, would you rather have the jersey or the 76K? I think what? we know the answer there. What? I have video of this, the layup if the you want to see The 76K. It. By the way, this is a stupid bet. This well, is You're playing the lottery. It's 100% the yeah, lottery. You're playing the lottery. So okay. you, this is the video? Watch this. This is the By video. the way, we're a sports station. Can we not get the actual this, this video? Is, oh, oh, there it oh is. Oh, my God. It was a bunny. It was a bunny. Look at that. Oh, it, whoop, and a foot. 
That oh. is gross. Does that make so, you feel any worse? Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Was this chronological? Like the better yes. yeah, it yeah, was yeah. chronological? Yes, I so the it was. better knew yes. that they had every other piece yes. of the pie yep. and they might have been watching that and wanting to strangle Chris Dax Porzingis. They were in Sacramento, so it was a West Coast game. By the way, Chris Dax Porzingis, uh, low-key, super funny dude. So Sid and I did uh, a little gag at the NBA All-Star Game mm -hmm. in Toronto, and we had Canadian candy for the guys to try. So we had ketchup chips, we had, um, you know, chocolate bars that you can only get here, yeah. uh, things like that. And one of the things was an Eat More, and Porzingis grabbed the Eat More. And he tried it and he was like, all right. And as he's leaving, he turns back and goes, um, there's no peanuts in that, right? Like I'm allergic <laughs> to peanuts. And Sid and I's jaws just were like, so what? It's EMS, yeah, EMS. And he's like, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so good. You yeah. are a little bit underrated. I'm not sure I'd like choose it from a basket of options, but if it's the last thing sitting there. Well, but if you don't, if you have no idea. Yes. It's just a big chocolate bar. Eat more, great name. Uh, okay, professional pillow fighting is a real thing. Wanted to get to the story. Yes, this is pretty good. Uh, this is a training session for the Pillow Fight Championship. Oh, look at which that! On their webs, which on their website says it's the thrill of hand-to-hand -hand combat without oh, any yeah. blood and a lot more action. There's a difference between the two-handed. Uh, backhand, yes, and the obviously taking way too much of a windup, one-handed, much more power. Like honestly, if this thing you put them in the octagon, oh, look at that. there's a chance I'm spending seventy Staggered bucks. Staggered her. Yeah. What does UFC cost now? Seventy bucks to order one how, event. I would pay that for. That. How often though would you land an actual punch? You'd have to be pretty poor to not see it coming. I would think. No, but I'm saying like you're just swinging with your fists yeah. connected to if there's a little duck, like how oh, often do you fist. get caught? Yeah. yeah. Comes with the territory. Casualty of the sport. Oh, we got we got eleven for Canada. We got a starting eleven. Oh, uh, nice. Just over an hour away from kickoff from San Pedro Sula, Canada. Takes on Honduras right here on Sportsnet at 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, the team shorthanded to me. Uh, yeah, without a doubt. Uh, they're looking to exercise the demons in San Pedro Sula. Uh, do we have that lineup, guys? Yes. Let's have a look it. at it. Got it. Oh, Jesse, you got it? Yeah. I can grab it. No, I have it. All right. All right. There it is. You're looking at it right now. Okay, so we got Atiba Hutchison wearing the armband for Canada. Milan Borian, that's no surprise. Alistair Johnson out of Kube, Victoria. Oh, Samuel Piet in the middle of the field along with Junior Hoylett and Scott Kennedy. Look at that. Also. Very so it looks impressive. like the uh, the attacking two of Laren and David, along with Tejon Buchanan. It'll be interesting to see where he deploys uh, Tejon Buchanan throughout the game. So there are your starters for Canada. And again, there are three games in seven days over three countries. So that plays a little bit of a factor in what lineup goes where the and when. Ready. All right, that does it for us. Canada, Honduras, as mentioned, coming up. Sportsnet 360. Ontario and East, three games on the Sports Channel, family of channels. Please enjoy. Go we'll talk to you tomorrow.